and welcome to World Outlook's podcast, The Outlook. I'm Ben Vogley, a 22 at Dartmouth. I'm Sapphic, I'm a 24 at Dartmouth. And today, we're very excited to be joined by David Mindich, the chair of the Department of Journalism at Temple University. Before becoming a professor, Mindich worked as an assignment editor for CNN and earned a doctorate in American Studies from New York University. He has written articles for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Los Angeles Times, New York Magazine, and other publications. He is also the author of Just the Facts, How Objectivity Came to Define American Journalism, and Tuned Out, Why Americans Under 40 Don't Follow the News. Professor Mindich, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. Well, to start, we'd love to hear a bit about your background and how you became interested in journalism. It's funny. So when I was an undergraduate, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, And I had spent junior year abroad in London, and I decided I was going to go back there when I graduated with no real plan. I went back, spent six months there, and when I came back, I still had no idea what I wanted to do. And a Hmm. family friend of mine said, "Um, "Why you're interested in journalism, you're interested in politics, why don't you work for CNN? I got an internship there, and... um, and found it fascinating. Uh, ultimately, I didn't like uh, being at CNN with its hourly um, uh, deadlines. Uh, I wanted to go back to graduate school, maybe be a print writer. But along the way, I started thinking about the relative... My, my phrase, which I didn't have at the time, but paraphrasing is, which lives matter? I was trying to figure out like why um, certain news stories get more... Uh, publicity than others. You're obviously here at the Dickey Center to talk about the legacy of Ida B. Wells um, and which lives matter in the news that you just talked about. So first, can you tell us a bit about the impact that Ida B. Wells had on American journalism during her time and how that legacy has extended to the present? So Ida B. Wells was this amazing heroic journalist. Uh, She was born an enslaved person in the 1860s. Um, she fought against the railroad segregation system uh, when she was only 22 years old. Uh, and then um, when uh, a friend of hers in 1892 was lynched um, by a white mob, uh, she reported on the lynching and discovered that the white press, the white dominated press, was not doing a good job at covering lynching. Uh, and so she reported widely, particularly for the black press, um, about the real causes of lynching, which she argued was uh, economic competition. Um, and so whites hmm. would uh, terrorize blacks throughout the South to, to try to fight them um, through you know, terrorism because of the economic competition. Um, and so her coverage of lynching um, really, particularly in the black press, really changed uh, Americans' understanding of lynching. Um, And the white press, for the most part, rejected her views because she wasn't white and male. Uh, At the time, white males were dominating uh, journalism. That's really interesting. And do you think the trailblazing trailblazing, rather, work of Ida B. Wells parallels how journalists have kind of historically been able to share the stories of marginalized groups. And I guess building on that, 
do you think that the efforts that Wells pioneered have helped to create a larger space for marginalized voices in the American news media today? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I do think that, you know, I'd like to look at Ida B. Wells' crusading journalism as changing the overall perceptions in America. Uh, it wasn't as rosy as that. Um, so, for example, 20 years after Ida B. Wells did her investigations, there was this movie, A Birth of a Nation, um, and it was based on this racist idea um, that white maidens needed um, saving from um, lawless African-Americans, and the Ku Klux Klan were the heroes of this movie. It's an awful racist movie, um, innovative uh, and, and some excellent filmmaking techniques, but based on a, a terrible racist lie. Um, and that was 20 years after Ida B. Wells um, worked to, um, to change perceptions. So even after her great work, uh, there's still a lot of work to be done. But I think you know, part of your question is, uh, did her um, journalism really inspire others? And absolutely it did. Um, and um, the history of minority press includes um, really filling in the voids and uh, righting the wrongs of the mainstream media's uh, misperceptions or complete uh, ignoring of uh, people of color. And yeah, I guess like, um, I mean, Ida B. Wells was clearly an exceptional individual, um, but it also indicates like an overall failure of the dominant uh, news media at the time um, to elevate the voices of the press, um, which is, of course, a very disappointing development. How is it that the broader American news media at that time uh, could fail so profoundly in reporting these stories? And do you think there's, uh, does that still hold lessons for today? Yeah, and another great question. I think um, I think when you have uh, any organization that's totally dominated by one group, uh, you're leaving out stories. And um, one of the stories I'm going to talk about uh, in my talk here at Dartmouth is that um, when I was a young journalist at CNN, um, there was a woman, a teenage girl, who was killed in Central Park in New York City. Um, and she was a white teenager, and editors basically ran with the story every day for weeks. Um, and when they were explaining why they were running the story, they would say, well, she could be my daughter. Which is a nice, uh, empathetic statement to make about, uh, you know, a woman, uh, teenager who's, uh, in the news. But at that time, when I was living in New York, there were about five murders a day. So, only one of them, only one of the murders could have, one of the murder victims could have been their daughter. There were people of color who were being killed um, throughout the city who weren't being covered. So one of the lessons is that we need more diversity in the newsrooms because then we can imagine other people as being our daughters or our sisters or our, or our sons. Um, and so uh, the lack of diversity during Ida B. Wells' time, which uh, continued through much of American history, and frankly, um, to a lesser extent, but certainly to an extent, continues today, um, really shows us that we could do better covering more of the world um, from a perspective that more lives matter, just not um, women with blue eyes, as in the case of 
a more recent example of Gabby Petito. Absolutely. That's fascinating to think about, and I think our next question is in a pretty similar vein. The U.S. recently withdrew from Afghanistan, ending 20 years of U.S. involvement in the country. And notably, that occupation was characterized by drone and airstrikes that produced pretty significant civilian casualties. And so, how did the American news media cover these uglier impacts of U.S. involvement in Afghanistan? And, you know, broadly, again, what does that say about the American news media? And also, have American journalists held the U.S. to account on the international stage in a meaningful way? Yeah, so, you know, this again, and and you kind of globalize the question, which lives matter, right? Um, And... The answer is that, that, that we as a society, um, and obviously there are exceptions, but we as a society don't care enough about victims of drone strikes. Right? Um, the only way to really care as a society is to imagine that you're not only the person pulling the trigger, but you could be the person um, uh, on the other side of the drone strike, right? Um, uh, there was uh, Brian Kilmead, uh, one of the hosts of Fox and Friends, uh, were talking about uh, kids in cages, right, and uh, child separation uh, at the border. Said, so, "Well, they're you know they're not our kids." Hmm. So it's very easy to kind of separate um, separate our group from others. Um, there's a great book called The Survival of the Friendliest um, and that came out last year. It talks about how humans are at their best when we are celebrating our commonality and friendly to each other. But part of the book um, uh, outlines that there's a flip side. That if we feel like our group is being threatened or um, we can dehumanize another group, we as a species are capable of terrible, terrible things. Um, and so, and one of the things that you should look for um, when you're looking for people about to do terrible things to other people is that they dehumanize. They make them into vermin or, or animals or uh, brutes or subhumans. And we use all these terms that make them less than human and then you can, you can go ahead and, um, uh, and hurt them. Um, in the case of Afghanistan, you know, I think that uh, the victims of um, our drone strikes uh, were too often an afterthought. Um, and so it's the purpose of journalism, one of the purposes of journalism, is to make sure we celebrate and acknowledge each other's humanity. Because without that, um, we really are in trouble of doing terrible things. Yeah, for sure. And I'd like to... I guess go back to a previous point that you made regarding, um, I guess, uh, at least how journalism changes over time. Um, and given, uh, recent American developments, particularly, uh, the era of Trump, what are your thoughts on the evolution of the American news media from the pre-Trump era to the post-Trump era? So, I think Trump really, um, really kind of flooded our circuits a little bit. <laughs> like, how do you deal with someone who is attacking the media almost on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. How do you deal with someone 
who um, doesn't tell the truth and who just regularly, um, I mean, all politicians shade the truth. Um, all politicians uh, evade questions. But um, I can't remember an example in American history of a candidate and then a political leader who regularly said, you know, black is white, white is black, white is gay, white is not, you know. Um, and how do, if you're trying to be a fair and objective journalist, how do you deal with that? Do mm-hmm. you call it a lie? Do you call it a mistruth? Do you um, offer that as one of two sides? Um, and I think journalists have been confronted with um, what to do um, you know, in the face of this kind of uh, rhetoric. And I don't think we've, we've come up with a really good answer yet. Um, but I think that having to ask the questions of ourselves, like who are we, what are our responsibilities as journalists uh, in the face of mistruths and lies, um, I hope will make us stronger. And the other piece that I'll say about uh, journalism is that um, journalists have said, you know, uh, Trump may or may not be good for America, but he's good for the bottom line. <laughs> and, um, and so we do see you know, there's a tremendous interest in journalism during the Trump administration. Uh, I think we as consumers have to read the news, follow the news, even when it's uh, less uh, sexy, uh, less um, uh, less emotional, maybe um, post-Trump era. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And again, you've kind of anticipated our next question. Um, we're curious about the role of kind of informal news in informing American youth. For instance, a young person today might get their news from an app like TikTok or just over Twitter or something like that. And again, what are the impacts of young people tuning into these sorts of alternative news channels? I mean, are those kinds of sources going to be uh, as objective as, say, something like the New York Times? Well, so one of the things that you're getting at is, is the tension between giving people what they want and what they need. Um, uh, a newspaper, uh, a good newspaper like the New York Times, will try to give um, its readers what they need to know, um, also trying to be entertaining, but, but the biggest object, uh, objective is that a newspaper like the New York Times is trying to inform the public, hold leaders accountable, do the things that we want journalism to do. Um, TikTok may do that, and you could probably educate yourself really well just through TikTok. Um, uh, if you go to all the right sources, hmm. um, and uh, you know, just you know, just care about the serious discussions, um, uh, maybe, maybe you won't get a complete um, uh, civics education. But I've heard the Washington Post has an amazing TikTok. <laughs> really? I should check it out. That's true, actually, yes. <laughs> I've seen those. Um, so, but it's harder, right? You have to be, you have to really have a lot more self-control to not go to the more uh, sensational stuff. You really have to have a sense about what you yourself need rather than what you yourself want. So, uh, but the other problem is that, uh, and we've learned this from the Facebook papers lately, that um, social media also has a particular problem of feeding 
the kinds feeding you the kinds of um, information that gets you more upset, that makes you stay on a, a site. So we certainly can benefit from a discussion about budget negotiations in the New York Times. Right. Um, we're not going to see budget negotiations. Um, on Facebook promoted by people. People will not pass that along. It won't be part of the, um, it won't be part of the algorithm that, that sends you the kind of news that will keep you angry and keep you on the site. So Facebook and the New York Times, for example, have very different, um, goals. One is to keep you on the site, uh, Facebook, and then one is to keep you informed with certainly a, a benefit of keeping you um, uh, interested in the New York Times, um, but that's only the side benefit compared to the civic duty that the New York Times and other good um, outlets um, embrace. Yeah, that's very interesting to think about, and I feel like there's kind of a problem here potentially that you're getting at, which is that there are just so many different sources of information out there that often people will gravitate toward information that, you know, might be designed for entertainment purposes rather than uh, to inform. And are there any ways that we can fix this? It, it's something that I've thought about a lot, and, you know, our current news discourse does seem like toxic to democracy. Well, you, you, you have to... As consumers, we have to gravitate towards serious news. As educators, um, we have to, those who are teachers and those who are parents have to really consume good news and also tell, uh, in quality news and, and, and tell uh, younger people, um, how to tell the difference. And I mean, I think that uh, news literacy is really important and we have to, you know, leave room for a discussion of news quality and what kind of news improves us as citizens, makes us more muscular citizens, holds leaders accountable. Um, you know, there's a difference between being interesting, which all news outlets want to be, and being sensationalism, sensationalist, which can play, you know, uh, loose with the truth. Um, and so we need to be able to distinguish that. And we need to pay for good journalism. We need to respect good journalism. Um, and the journalists, in turn, have to respect us and, and give us the good stuff. Yeah, and I think, um, I guess, to improve journalism, obviously, would require significant participation from the American youth. And so our next question is, how can we, as young people, empower modern-day journalists who, like you know, Ida B. Wells, work to report marginalized stories? Well, you know, the good news is that you know, the New York Times, for example, uh, it's just a site, you know, the most cited newspaper, um, uh, embarked on the 1619 project a few years ago that um, argued that the uh, 1776 was not, you know, the most important birthday in American history, that 1619, the 400th. Um, uh, anniversary of the first slave ships uh, is also an important, maybe even a more important um, date. Um, we have uh, examples of investigations at some of the best news outlets about racial issues um, 
there's a show called Reveal uh, by the Center of Investigative Journalism um, that has looked at issues like redlining um, over the years, and just this month um, they started a, a series that um, um, that uh, looked at the death of an unarmed uh, black high school kid and uh, put that in the context of the history of lynching. Um, there's a lot of serious journalism out there. Um, it's not like the old days when you'd only learn about uh, people of color in the black press, for example. Uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of hope um, in the era that we're living in now. There isn't enough, but um, but serious uh, journalists should continue to pursue it, and um, and people in the public should continue to demand it. Thanks for sharing that. We have one final question for you. It's a bit broad, but we'd love to get your thoughts on it. You've had a very, you know, interesting career at the intersection of journalism and academia, and we'd love to get your advice uh, for undergraduates who are, you know, hoping to make a positive impact in the world. There's so many ways uh, to make a, a positive impact. There are so many ways, even within journalism, to make a positive impact. Um, you know, you can be, as a journalist, you can be a, um, a nonpartisan, um, uh, detached referee. Uh, you can be an activist. Um, uh, you can depart journalism and work for an organization that does activism. Um, you know, I think that it's important to realize that the world has some serious problems and uh, journalism at its best can help you solve the problems. At its worst, it can distract you, right? Uh, journalism, social media uh, can distract you from the biggest problems. So, um, you know, these are serious times. So I think there are plenty of opportunities um, for you as young people to get interested in the world uh, I'm continually given hope by the, the, the level of interest and uh, seriousness of questions um, that I'm hearing from young people, and, and not least uh, today. I mean, you've asked some great questions that really attack some of the, uh, society's most serious um, issues, and I applaud you for it. Yeah, thank you so much, and thank you very much for your time today, Samir. We really appreciate it.